Hey, everybody, this is Pastor Luke McDonald, and this is the Good News in the Neighborhood podcast. Thanks so much for joining us. You're going to find two things in this feed in this season. You're going to find Sunday sermons from our church in Palatine, Illinois, and you're going to find an occasional little piece of content that is towards our initiative to try to help our church read the Bible more regularly. It's called Good With Our Bibles. We're trying to read the Bible regularly, and we're trying to interpret it accurately. And that's what you're going to find in this feed. We are a multi-ethnic Bible-teaching life-giving church. This is our little theme song that you're hearing in the background. And uh, it helps us, anything you do, rating the podcast, sharing it, all that stuff helps the word get out. We're not trying to build the name of a church. We're trying to build the name of Jesus in our little local community. And if you found this, I hope it's useful to you. Thank you. Let's listen now. Hey, everybody. Welcome. Glad you're here. Uh, You look a little wet, some of you. So, but you made it to church anyway, so congratulations, well done, I'm thrilled to preach to you today, thankful to start the uh, spring season after Easter, thankful for all God did last week and all the great things that happened, and thankful to have the chance to preach to you today. Um, We're back in the book of Judges, which we've been in for quite a while, we took a little break over Easter, now we're back in it, we're to the finish line, I'd love for you to turn in the book of Judges to chapter 14. Uh, We're going to go in the deep end today, and I'm hoping that um, as we use our minds and we use our hearts and connect those things together, that you're going to find something useful. Uh, probably like, I don't know, Kristen and I, as many of you know, uh, my wife and I have been together since high school, and uh, so we have a lot of, a lot of history. Um, maybe like the most like annoyed, which annoyed is different than mad, maybe the most annoyed that she ever was um, in all the time that we've known each other is the only time we were seniors in high school, we took one class together. Uh, now, it's been, you know, a few decades, but the way I remember this, it was like first period of the day. Uh, we were seniors. It was first period of the day, and we were taking uh, government is the way I remember it. And uh, we have, her and I had fairly different approaches to school in general. Um, she would sit in the front and, like, write down every single word that the teacher was saying, you know, like, regardless. This is back when all the notes were handwritten, and her, like, her notes would be like, good morning, everyone. Today, you know, she was just take, and then she would just like study, 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 study. Um, I I do it a little different of a way. Uh, just the way that my mind works is, um, I like would kind of sit in the back, and I, I really would be focused on the listening. So sometimes, if you were to look at me, you might have the impression that I had fallen asleep. Uh, but I had, I was just listening, you know, with my eyes closed a little bit easier, and I was just a little more. And then I would like, um, if I didn't, wasn't interested in what the teacher was doing, I would like read the textbook or I just, it's the way that my mind works. It's like hard for me to stay in task. But like, unfortunately, um, for the way that my brain works, information really sticks in there. And so she would like study, 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 study. I would like kind of do my thing. And then the quiz would come and like, I would, I'll just say usually to be gracious, but the actual answer is always end up with like a slightly better score. And this would, this would fry her to like no end, as I can see on all your faces as you're looking at me judging me right now, totally, which is totally fine. She would, this would drive her absolutely crazy um, because we have this sense as people that making the right choices, doing things the right way, uh, operating in the proper fashion is supposed to yield good results. But what is so challenging about living in this world that God created is it isn't always like that. Uh, The message today is called When God is Blessing Me in Spite of Me. Uh, well, you're not going to be thinking amen, I don't think, for very long, Chuck, but I appreciate that loud, boisterous bass 
Amen. When God is blessing me in spite of me, this is the story of Samson. So here's how I want to do it. I want to tell you the story, then I want to teach you the story, then I want to try to find some principles in the story. So here's what happens in Judges 14 and 15. If you were here a few weeks ago, we learned about the uh, miraculous story of how Samson was uh, given to a woman, uh, his mom, who she thought never would have children. And it was this miraculous thing. We learned about that a few weeks ago. We're picking up now in his adulthood. This is Judges 14 and 15. You have to remember that Samson was given as a commitment for his life a Nazarite vow. A Nazarite vow is a special, unique commitment for a unique purpose. And this was given, that this was to be his whole life. He was going to drink no alcohol, never cut his hair or beard, and never touch anything dead. This is John the Baptist in the New Testament. It's in Numbers chapter 6. It's all over the Bible. This is who Samson was supposed to be. So Samson, uh, I'm just going to tell you the story. This is what happens in these two chapters. He's like a, he's kind of a, like a stud, I guess, like a beefcake, if you will. He's got like the long flowing hair, the superhuman strength. He could like fit well on the cover of one of those romance novels that y'all pretend you don't read at the pool. He, he's also like a bit of a loose cannon, um, like, he goes to a nearby town on the wrong side of the tracks, and he falls for a woman who he's not supposed to be with because she's a Philistine. And the Philistines are enemies of God's people, the Israelites. Anyway, Samson decides he wants to marry this girl, so he goes to negotiate with her family in the custom of the day. And along the way, he gets into a scrap with a lion and rips it apart with his bare hands, you know, like as any of us would do. Uh, later, Samson finds bees have made a hive in the carcass of the lion, and he scoops out some honey from inside the carcass of the lion to eat. So anyway, Samson finally gets to the woman's hometown, and they throw this, like, seven-day kegger-drinking feast to celebrate their engagement. But Samson, being the wild card that he is, poses a riddle to the Philistine guests, promising them fancy clothes and riches if they can figure it out. They, of course, can't figure out his riddle, so they threaten Samson's new fiancé to get the answer out of him. Eventually, Samson figures out what's going on and gets mad, so he goes out and kills 30 Philistines to get their fancy clothes and pay off his debt. Later, Samson tries to reconcile with his fiancée, but her father has given her away to the best man, actually, of the wedding. So Samson does what any rational person would do. He ties torches to the tails of 300 foxes and lets them loose in the Philistines' fields to burn everything down. The Philistines retaliate by killing Samson's fiance and her father. So Samson goes on a rampage and kills a bunch of them. It's like this twisted game of eye for an eye, but arson and murder and nonsense all around. It has this feeling like one of those shows that you like watch, but you kind of feel guilty watching because it's so insane and stupid and over the top. This is what really happened in the story of Samson. And uh, sometimes if you learn Bible stories as a kid, you can kind of get stuck on the details that make them interesting to listen to and miss the part that a supernatural God is trying to show us and teach us and send us through it. So I want to go through the story with you now, piece by piece, and I want to show you some things uh, on this theme, that the whole time Samson is foolishly going the opposite of the way that God wants him to go, God is working through him and blessing him anyway. Uh, so first, just back to the beginning of the story, Samson, it says he came up and told his father and mother I saw one of the daughters of the Philistines at Timnah. This is verse 2 of chapter 14. He says, now, get her for me as my wife. Very romantic. But his father and mother said to him, now wait, is there not a woman among the daughters of your relatives or among all of our people that you must go and take a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? But Samson said to his father, get her for me, for she is right in my eyes. Any person who's made it like 
anywhere past being a teenager has hopefully realized that if the only thing bringing two people together is they like the way the other person looked, that relationship is destined for soon for disaster. Samson is aiming for the wrong relationship for the wrong reasons, yet God blesses him anyway. This is what it says in verse 4. This is like the key to understanding this whole big section. Is it says that his father and mother did not know that it was from the Lord. For he was seeking an opportunity against the Philistines. Now, if we're paying careful attention and wanting to be, leave the verse up for just a second, thank you. If we're trying to be rigorous people, that pre presents us with a bit of a problem. Because we know that what's being what his parents are pointing at here and what is being prohibited is not interfaith marriage. It's not, oh boy, nope. What is being prohibited here is not interracial marriage, it's interfaith marriage. Interracial marriage has no problem anywhere in the Bible. What always seems to cause a problem anywhere you find it is when two people who have a mixture of faiths get together, that often causes a big problem. So when it says here that Samson demanding to marry a woman who he had just seen but never talked to because he liked the way she looked, when we see here that it says that it was from the Lord, that it presents us with a bit of a problem. Because it is never from the Lord for us to do things that are against the will of the Lord, right? God never wants his children to disobey his laws. So what, what does this mean? Well, we see the clue in the second part of the sentence. God is aiming to rid his people of the influence of the pagan nations all around him. And the whole theme of the book of Judges is that the constant intermarriage and the constant uh, capitulation to the culture is ruining the Israelites' ability to honor and follow the God they claim to believe in. And so now they have become so weakened, the people of Israel, that they are unable even to muster the energy to fight, so God is going to use foolish choices from foolish people to cause the fight that he wants to have. God is looking for this fight. And God is able because, and this is the most important part, because God is outside of time, so do you know that the great God of the universe is not today on April the, what's today, 16th? It's not April the 16th, 2023, to the great God of the universe. He is, try to not let your brain explode, outside of the confines of time. The scripture says, to the Lord, a day is as a thousand years. So God is able to see every single part of human history unfolding outside of the time that it's happening. And so what that means is that God is able to use in the future our foolish choices in the present to still accomplish his purposes and bring great glory to his son, Jesus Christ. It doesn't mean that our bad choices or foolish decisions were a good idea at the time. It means that God's power is so great and his love for his children so significant that God is able to use even the times we disobey him to still bring about his purposes. So Samson... Uh, well, I'll say it this way. Um, beware of making a lack of visible consequences evidence of God's approval. Because this is what we do, and this is what a lot of this message today is about, is the way that we think and we operate like when we get what we want, that means God's happy with us. And when we don't get what we want, that means God is mad at us. When our prayers get answered, that means God is pleased. When our prayers don't get answered, that means God is angry. If I can do one thing in my teaching of the Bible to you, I would love for you to rid that one thought out of your mind for the rest of your time on earth. 
because that is cruel and brutal to tie yourself to external circumstances as evidence of God's blessing. Was God displeased with his son Jesus Christ when he went to the cross? But he was in great pain, precisely and perfectly doing God's will. And so sometimes we can think that just because nothing bad is happening, that means God's okay with it. So there's this like sketchy relationship that's kind of going on in your life underneath the surface and nobody knows about it. But you know, you haven't like got a flat tire or been fired from your job or got bad news from the tax accountant, so maybe that means God's okay with it. There's this, well, I've said it now. So the story continues. Behold, ha, I love this part. A young lion comes running towards Samson, roaring. Right here, you see it? Then the spirit of the Lord rushed upon him. This is in verse 6 of chapter 14. So even though Samson is in pursuit of the wrong relationship for the wrong reasons, still God's spirit rushes upon him. So although he has nothing in his hands, he can tear the lion in pieces. You know, like, you know how like when you tear a, a young goat apart? You know what that's like? That's what it was like when he was tearing the lion. That's good. We'll just do our best. We'll do our best here. I can't imagine any of that. But what's the point? The point is that God's supernatural strength allows him to do something that anyone paying attention would be like, well, I mean, only God. So Samson goes along, and at this point he's on his way down to try to make this wedding happen with this woman. And he goes down, he comes back, and it says now just a couple verses later in verse 8 that he turns aside to see the carcass of the lion. And behold, there's a swarm of bees in the body of the lion, and there's honey, and he scrapes out the honey into his hand, and he goes along eating it as he goes. This is giving me like Jungle Book kind of vibes maybe? <laughs> Winnie the Pooh, something like that. And he came to his father and mother and gave some of them, some to them, and they ate it. But he did not tell them that he had scraped the honey from the carcass of the lion. Why does it matter that he didn't tell them that he had scraped the carcass of the honey from the lion? This is the text implicitly, not explicitly, telling us that he has broken one of the principles of his Nazarite vow. He was not supposed to touch anything dead. God gave him the power to kill the lion, but that wasn't enough. He had to go along and get a little snack for the road. And he doesn't just hurt himself. He kind of drags his family into it as well. So he has three, these three unique commitments for a unique purpose, but now he's broken one of them. Yet God still continues to bless him. He has a disregard, Samson does, for honoring God in secret. He grabs the honey when no one else is around. He doesn't tell anybody else that he had got it off the line. Yet God continues to bless him anyway. Hmm. It, it shows me that our, um, our greatest failures often come from poorly stewarding our greatest successes. That oftentimes the bad things that come our way come our way because we don't know how to deal with the good things that come our way. So you pray and pray and pray for God to give you a child, and then you turn that child into the object of your worship instead of the God who gave you the child. That's one example. Ah. You pray and pray and pray and pray for God to bless the business. And then God blesses the business. And all you do with the blessing of God blessing the business is increase your lifestyle and do more things and start looking down on people who haven't had successes. It's the poor stewarding of the success that becomes the greatest failure. 
God giving Samson the strength to kill the lion should have been the time for him to say, yeah, you know, I've lived my whole life a special way because God gave me a special purpose. And the reason that I could tear that lion apart isn't because I'm like, you know, like The Rock or one of these guys who's like got these big muscles. It's because God gave the power to me. Can I tell you about this amazing thing? Look at this deadline. I'm not going to touch it because I'm not supposed to touch it. But look at this deadline that God gave me through his power, the ability to kill. It should have been a chance to praise God, but instead it became a chance to take more than he should have for himself. So we're continuing along in the story now. This, that was like kind of a little interlude. His father went down to this woman that Samson still got this focus on, and they prepared a feast there. And they prepared a feast there for so the young men used to do. That's the text telling us something else implicitly. The way that uh, the feast was prepared, the way that it worked in that day and time, is when a young couple got engaged, there would be a seven-day party, like a I don't know what you, a bender, like a real, like, we're going to go in hard for seven days, and then at the end of the seven days, then there's going to be a wedding. And so this is the text telling us that rather than do things God's way, Samson is going to do things the world's way. And it's so easy for us to fall into doing things the world's way, but it's the text telling us again that now for a second time, Samson has broken his Nazarite vow. He's participating in a drinking feast on the way to marrying someone he shouldn't have been marrying. So they get to this... Um, they get to this like big party that they're at, and Samson says, "This is verse twelve now." He says, "Let me um, give me let me like get, tell you a riddle. If you could tell me what the riddle is uh, within these seven days of this party, if you can figure it out, I'm going to give you thirty linen garments and thirty changes of clothes." Now, just pause. I mean, I know that for some people here, like thirty linen garments and thirty changes of clothes is one evening looking through the marketing emails that you get from all of the brands that you like. I won't mention any names, but in this day and time, we're, this is like maybe they have one extra set of clothes, if that. So he's talking about incredible riches. Why Samson decides, we don't know. He decides that he wants to tell this riddle, but he has this desire for quick gain through trickery. Yet God continues still to bless him anyway. So you can imagine what happens. Like Samson has never met this girl. That he's, It's like a, a fix-up, so he's telling a riddle to all of like, the people that she knows, and they're getting mad, like, we don't have the money for this. What are we going to do with this? So they pull the girl to the side, and they're like, hey, like, if you don't figure out this riddle, we're going to kill you. And it says that the, Samson's wife wept over him and said, you only hate me, you don't love me. You have put a riddle to my people, and you have not told me what it is. And he said to her, behold, I have not told my father or my mother, shall I tell you? And she wept before him the seven days that, her, that their feast lasted. And on the seventh day, he told her because she pressed him hard. Can we agree that uh, when a woman really wants to make something happen, she has a way of creating a lot of pressure on a man to get what she wants? Can we be honest enough in the room today to say that that is something? Well, okay, yeah, okay, yeah, we got a few. Okay, okay, yeah, no. It's all right. We don't make it easy on them either, fellas, so I understand. Because she pressed him hard. So then she told the riddle to her people. He tells her, she tells them, Samson loses the bet. This is what he says in response. He says, this is, this is getting tough now. He says, uh, so they tell him they, they answer. And Samson says, if you had not plowed with my heifer, you would not have found out my riddle. Now, I don't know how, you know, I don't know what, you know, we, it's fun sometimes to see like the old pictures of what different people, the fashion trends when they were getting married and different things, you know, like, 
I was like those like late 80s ones with people with the big like poofy perm kind of hair, always fun and different things. But everyone, no matter what the trends are, everyone tries to look their best on their wedding day. Is that right? And I have yet to meet the woman in my lifetime who says, you know what I would really like to be described as on my wedding day? A heifer. <laughs> I'm really aiming for that female, calf-cow kind of direction. That's kind of the, the angle that we're taking it. What is Samson showing? He is showing that he has the problem that so many young men have. He sees the beautiful woman as something that is his to enjoy, not a person to take care of or treasure. I mean, it's very clear. He has this disrespect for this other gender, yet God continues to bless him anyway. The next verse, after Samson calls the girl that he shouldn't have tried to get with, but he tries to get with, and then the whole thing kind of starts to fall apart, and then he says she looks like a cow. Right after that, the very next verse says, put it on the screen, verse 19, and the spirit of the Lord rushed upon him. He has more of God fueling him than he did before. And what he does with it is he goes to Ashkelon and he strikes down 30 men of the town, you know, just like kills 30 dudes, and he takes all their spoil to pay off the bet. It says there, in hot anger, he went back to his father's house. And then I just kind of like the little add-on. And Samson's wife was given to his companion who had been his best man. I'm kind of with the best man and the girl on that. I'm good with that. So this presents you and me, if we're paying careful attention with this, huh, like something. So wait a second. So the guy, we've just gone through one whole chapter. The guy's been nothing but a selfish, immature, no self-controlled jerk. Yet God keeps giving his strength to a person. Why? <laughs> Try to put this right here. God is accomplishing his purposes of war against his enemies through Samson, even if Samson is doing it for all kinds of bad reasons and in the wrong manner. The story continues. So after um, some days, this is the beginning of chapter 15, at the time of the wheat harvest, Samson went to visit his wife with a young goat. Now, I've been there, fellas. I don't know how often you've been there. You ever been in a jam where you're like, I better show up with a present of some kind in my hand when I get home just to try to ease the tension of where I've done? Who's, let's just be honest. Who's ever been there with like, I'm going to show up with something in my hand? Okay, I got a few. Okay, yeah, Doug, thank you. Yeah, that was honest. It was subtly honest. Yep, good. I've never had the thought, you know what's going to like really get me back in Kristen's good graces? If I show up at home with a baby goat, I'm going to be like just locked in. Like. And he shows up. Do you see this? Now, just this is everything. The Bible is always gentle when it talks about and always careful when it talks about sexuality, but it is clear. He shows up with a young goat, and he says to her father, I will go into my wife in the chamber. But her father would not allow him to go in, and her father said, I really thought you hated her, so I gave her to your companion. So then he says, isn't her younger sister like even more beautiful than she is? Why don't you just take her instead? I'm sure the younger sister was super pumped on that, by the way. She was like, oh, cool, my older sister's leftovers. Awesome, I'm in, like, amazing. So Samson gets angry again. He says, this time I'm going to be innocent. I'm not going to do it with my own hands. I don't have these for the screen. I'll just tell it to you. He, so what Samson does is he goes, verse 4, and catches 300 foxes and takes torches and ties them tail to tail to put a torch between each pair of their tails. Okay. So uh, there's a lot of people that I know well in the room today. I'm, 
thinking like, if I said, you know, I got I got you know, it's uh, some extra money left over from PPP COVID, you know, money. I have a, a check for a million dollars from the government in my hand to the next person that can bring a fox that they caught with their hands into this room. <laughs> I mean, Steven, you're a college soccer player. You're a very fast guy. You know, I, but I, just, I don't know. I don't, you know, I see, there's some cagey people. I mean, like Linda's a crafter. Maybe she would build like a cage of some kind. And I'm just saying, like, if I had a million dollars in my hand for you to catch a fox, like just one, I go on those like, um, like local Facebook groups. And if people like see a fox, I mean, they about lose their minds. Like, I mean, if they just see one fox, it's like, hide your kids. It's over. It's over. It's, we're all falling apart. So if a person goes out with their bare hands and catches 300 foxes, what is the text trying to tell us? This is not the power of a human being. This is self-evidently fueled by the power of God. Then what he does is, and now this part is, I, I can't even imagine this. He ties their tails together. I've been around, I, know some, I have some family and friends with like a couple yappy dogs. I know how that can be. I just imagine what they're like if you tied two tails together. And then it says that he put a torch between their tails and lights the torch on fire and lets them all free. And so what they do is they go and run through all the fields, agricultural society, and destroy the entire food supply of the area. And the Philistines are like, who did this? And they said it was Samson, the son-in-law of the Timnite. He's taken his wife. Because, like, you know, the guy gave, remember that whole thing? Gave the wife to the best man. So then the Philistines, it says, they came and they burned her and her father with fire anyway. Tough. That was a tough bride story. Lost the guy, got the best man, got burned alive. It's a tough one. <laughs> this, this fall on Fox. You know, I don't know. It's weird. Uh, so Samson said to them, if this is what you're going to do, I swear I will be avenged. So then it says, verse 8, that, Samson struck them hip and thigh with a great blow. Uh, Samson shows here unbridled anger at inevitable consequences of his choices. Yet God continues to bless him anyway. So all that's happening here is they keep raising the stakes, raising the stakes, raising the stakes. Who can hurt each other more, 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 more? And Samson just keeps getting angry. There's one more round of this here. It says that then when Samson, this is verse 14, got to Lehi, the Philistines came shouting to meet him. Now, i got to be honest. At this point, I personally would have been like, maybe we just avoid this guy. So anytime we get anywhere near him, everything seems to be kind of a disaster. But they, and it says there, then again, look, it's there again, verse 14. Then the spirit of the Lord, God's very essence and power, rushes upon him. And so they had like come up with this idea, I didn't put this in there, that they uh, were going to pretend that he was tied up so that the Philistines would think they could come after him. It says that the ropes that they were on his arms, they became like the flax that caught fire. The bonds melted off his hands, and he found a fresh jawbone of a donkey, obviously, <laughs> and put out his hand and took it, and with it he struck, that means killed, a thousand men. And he was very thirsty, and he called upon the Lord and said, You've granted this great salvation by the hand of your servant. Shall I now die of thirst and fall into the hand of the uncircumcised? He even now turns it to God. Do you see it? He says, Hey, God, I did this cool thing, and you don't even have any Gatorade here for me to drink? <laughs> and then God splits the open place, and water comes out from it. And when he drank, his spirit returned, and he revived we see it there again. Samson treats God like a genie, not like a king. Yet God continues to bless him anyway. 
Now there's a next week, and we're going to get to the next week where inevitably the, it all starts to come in and fall. But why I thought this was um, really useful to us today, this is the next part in our series, so we're just going section by section. But um, a lot of us live at two places that I want to help us get past or through. One, just because um, you aren't seeing the consequences that you should be seeing for the choices that you're making doesn't mean that God doesn't see and doesn't mean that they aren't still on their way. So you may think, like, I've had this addiction thing over here, and I've been kind of holding on to it for a long time, and nobody knows, like, nobody knows, like, nobody knows, like, nobody knows. But, like, I don't know, nothing's really happened. And you get uh, into a place of ease, even if you feel guilty with the bad choices, you get into a place of ease with it because there's no external consequences. And I pray today, if you hear his voice, you would not harden your heart and think that God doesn't see or that you're going to get away with it. It's just getting bigger so that when it inevitably explodes at some moment in time that you can't deal with, then you're going to wish like anything that you would have done what you could to stop it or deal with it or sort it out. Just because the consequences haven't come your way yet doesn't mean that God doesn't see and doesn't mean that they're not on their way, one. Two, um, we have to learn to stop with that subtle anger that we put towards God when we see other people not getting the consequences that we think they should get. You know, like that, I think that a lot of us get stuck in that, like, um, this happens to me all the time, you know, like, uh, so like he went, my kid went to every practice and did all the things they were supposed to, and then this other kid showed up, but they're getting better treatment, and it's wrong, and it's not fair, meh, 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 you know, this... I mean, how does this guy do it? Like, all he does is play golf, and I mean, does he even really work? And how can he afford that? That doesn't seem right. And have you seen the way that he talks to her? He talks to her so bad. I just can't believe that their marriage can work with him talking like that. But then, like, every time I see them on their Christmas card, they look so nice, and they seem like they have such a beautiful family. And it just And we have this way of, like, um, like, seeing things in people and seeing things in circumstances, situations, and then almost like wondering if the way that the Bible teaches us the world's supposed to work, if any of it is real or right, because we don't see God dealing with people the way we want God to deal with people. And when we get right there, we have to get to right here. I am so stinking grateful standing here on this stage that God has not treated me very fairly. Like, if we were just going by the book, it's no worship today, just death. If we were going by the book, every single person who can hear my voice today has had so many more chances than they deserved and so many more fresh starts than they earned and so many more blessings that were the fair result of the things that they had done. We find it so easy to give grace to ourselves for our screw-ups and judgment to others for their mess-ups. And we have to try our best to like, kind of pull that around. Uh, life here on this earth is about loving the God who loves us when we are unlovable and pursuing increasingly living the way that he wants us to live. And if we're not making progress, then we aren't loving him the way that he wants us to. We aren't loving him the way he wants us to love him. 
Also, God sees all the stuff that's going on with all the people in your life, I promise you. And it's all coming for them in whatever way that you can't understand, but at the time in God's, this is the part that we have to get to. This is the end, and this is the part we have to get to that is so challenging. His ways are above my ways. His thoughts are above my thoughts. So if you want me to like pass it to you in a sentence, I can't do it on this one because the Bible doesn't do it on this one because it isn't like that. So there's some people that do every single thing the doctor tells them to do and they get worse and worse and worse and there's nothing they can do to stop it. And there's some people that like don't even take the pills they're supposed to take and get better. And I don't understand why that's the way that it works, but it's just the way that it works. So this isn't the church for the easy believe, like we'll just pretend that it's all simple and we'll just kind of check our brains at the door. Sometimes it's like really, really, really hard to figure out why God does answer some prayers and doesn't answer some prayers and why he does some things and doesn't do some things and it feels like some people, like no matter what they do, it turns out for the best and it feels like, you know, like people say to me, like, Pastor, you talk all the time about what a bad driver you are and like one time I rolled a stop sign and I got pulled over and I'm like, I don't know, it's not fair. I don't know, it isn't, I just, what can I tell you? It isn't fair, you know, I don't know what to tell you. But I'm telling you, our, um, God was blessing Samson because God was accomplishing his purposes, not because he was pleased with his choices. And I look around at our world, maybe you do too, and I'm like, Lord, there are so many things in our world that are so messed up. It's so many things that grieve my soul and so many ways in which we treat each other and think and talk and act, so many things that make me so. Yet you're working just the same. And so I'm trying to pull apart for myself and I invite you to join me in this, trying to pull apart once and for all that like when they get a good report card, that means I was a good parent the last few months. And when things go bad, that means I failed. Or even worse, that when things go bad, that means God is mad at me. God isn't mad at any of us. God is mad at sin, and sin was already paid for on the cross. God loves you. God loves you. God loves you. And God loves you so much that he looks at the dumb choices that you make, and he somehow still uses you through them, still works through them. I like this, maybe you'll... I, I'm not trying to be jokey, but I think back, um, some of my favorite people in our church here are uh, young people that I was their youth pastor many years ago. And I think back now, I'll find sometimes old notes of the sermons that I was preaching and how dumb the things that I was saying was and how like confused I was and young. And, and, like, and I can remember like anything being in these rooms when I was preaching these bad sermons and God working in like unbelievable, incredible ways. Why? Because the power isn't in us. The power is in a good God who loves us. And so I'm just trying to say today, um, and I'm belaboring it because I really want you to get it. If you go around punishing yourself for every bad outcome, do, do all the work, do all the work. Like go to a counselor, read another book, read your Bible some more, figure out maybe you are, maybe you have made some mistakes. Maybe you do need to parent in a different way. Maybe there is a better path to take. Totally, and work on all that stuff. But God does what he chooses to do at the time he chooses to do it in the way that he chooses to do it. And like, the more I live, the more I'm not totally sure that that much that we do has that much to do with it. Our job is to trust and to obey and to love and to do our very best to leave the outcomes with God. And that is really easy to say on the days when you're like getting blessed for no reason at all. And it's very, very hard when you don't get the answers you want. Sometimes you'd be like, God, I would trade like these 20 blessings for you to answer this one thing. And could I get anybody who would witness with that? I mean, I would trade like these 50 blessings to get this one thing. 
but you're not God. And I don't get it. And I'm not even saying that, like, sometimes I wonder if um, our way of talking about he works things together for good makes it seem like one day you're going to walk through a doorway and then you're going to be like, no, it's okay with me that they died of cancer. No, it means that, like, he's doing good things through the bad things. And it means that in light of his glory and forgiveness and grace, he is still good. And that there are hidden purposes that we most likely will not understand until we meet him face to face on the other side of this life. We are not going to force each other to live with that simplistic thing that doesn't stand up to scrutiny. Because that's how people get into church and start believing. And then something bad comes their way and the bottom drops out. Because they were told that if you just do like the right things in the right order, everything's going to be perfect. And it's just not that way. Can I get away? It's just not that way. It's just not that way. I would, it would be easier if it was that way. You probably wouldn't need me if it was that way. Uh, but it's not that way. And so sometimes I can choose to see that God is blessing me in spite of me. And sometimes God is challenging giving me a trial, giving me difficulty. Not because I deserve it, but because he trusts me with it and he loves me. And so I just want to invite you to just think right there today. Why don't you bow your head? We're not going to sing. I just want to help us kind of gather this up. Why don't you bow your head and close your eyes? And I just want to invite you to be honest with yourself in whatever way you can today. I want to invite you to uh, be honest with God and with yourself about whatever we've touched on in this hour that is true for you. Are there hidden patterns of behavior or ways that you're going about things that you know, like, if God sees that, I'm in big trouble on this. Today's the day to do something about it. Is there places where your faith is being tugged at or pushed or weakened because you're like, God, I'm not seeing the thing I thought I was going to see? Can you just give yourself fresh trust to him again? God, I want to pray that you would pour a fresh awareness of your love on every person who can hear my voice right now. God, what an incredible good God that you are, that you do not treat us the way that we deserve to be treated. Your forgiveness and your love is so overwhelming and so kind. And yeah, and sometimes when we're walking this path of life, it's really, really hard to trust you on another rainy day. And I'm just praying, Lord, would you draw our attention off of our circumstances, off of the things that have us bogged down, towards you again. You are a good God and you love your children. And we want to honor you with the way that we trust you. So I'm just praying fresh strength, Lord. I wasn't planning this, but it just feels like from the spirit in this moment. Is there anybody who would raise a hand to say today, I need some fresh strength right now that I could pray for anybody around the room? Yeah, I see you, all kinds of people. Anybody else? Lord, I want to pray for each person now who's acknowledged that truth. 
God, would you just pour yourself onto them, your presence and your fresh strength and your fresh courage? Not for like, not enough courage for a thousand more days, Lord, just courage for today, courage for this week to keep on trusting you, to keep on walking with you, to keep on lifting our eyes to the hills to say, where does our help come from? Our help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. And so we need you, Lord. That's what we're saying, we need you. I pray, uh, would you bless everyone? I pray it in Jesus' name. If you agree, please say amen and stand to your feet. This has been the Good News Neighborhood Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you've enjoyed the song. I hope it's been helpful to you. We'll see you again soon. This is Good News.